in 2002, the World Cup came to Korea and Japan. I was about 10 years old. And I don't know why I'm getting emotional about this because it was a kind of a profound moment for me. And, and so yeah, in 2002, the World Cup happened and it was the first time that the World Cup was being played in Asia. And Korea and Japan were hosting it. And there were zero expectations for Korea to make it far. I mean, there was some optimism because, you know, host country, maybe they'll make a round of 16 at best. Japan probably had a better chance quarterfinals. But what I remember the most wasn't specifically about the game or the, or the possibility that it could be corrupt. And as the, as the conspiracy goes, the allegation is that the Korean FA paid the refs either through cars or money or whatever. But can't really tell you if that's true or not because, well, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. It's the, one of the more profound memories I have of my dad. And, you know, my dad passed away when I was 19. So that was, what, like eight years ago? And I remember in that moment, especially in those memories, what I remember the most is how emotional he got. And I never understood that. I, I mean, here's a man who was a Vietnam War vet, uh, survived the Korean War when he was, what, six years old? Six to nine. And I never seen him super emotional. Not to say he was a cold man. I mean, he was always very expressive, always expressing his sentiments and all that. But I mean, I guess like in most Korean households, it was more of a strong father figure. Uh, I don't know how to explain it, but yeah, it's like, it's kind of like that. It's almost uh, platonic, but it's not. But anyway, it's different. It varies from family to family. But I guess my family is a little more old school. And what I remember the most was how, yeah, how happy. It was weird. I mean, I seen him happy, but I never seen him that happy about something that was completely unrelated to him, besides the fact that he's Korean. It was, it was interesting to see him so happy watching soccer. Uh, I mean, it was, it was, it was weird because soccer was never really a thing we talked about at home. It was something we watched and that's it. Like if it's on TV, it's on TV. It was, there was nothing particularly special. Like in some cultures, that's kind of worth you know, they get to the t dinner table and that's one of the main topics they talk about for the day. But not in my family. But that year was special. And it was at that age, at the age of 10, I really wanted to become a professional player. Uh, that was my dream. I wanted to become a pro player, whether, and the end goal was just to play at the World Cup. And the main reason was because I saw how my dad reacted to really complete strangers on TV who are playing for a country that, you know, that they just happen to be born in. And you know, as a son looking at your father, you're like, I, I want that. And I think that's kind of where my dream began was to, yeah, like, I mean, that's kind of what I wanted to do. And I remember telling my dad, I was like, okay, I want to be a pro player. And he laughed, he thought it was cute. I mean, you know, your 10 year old son saying that. And he said, well, no, you gotta be a doctor or a lawyer. But as annoying as that is, that's really not the most traumatic thing. It's just, you know, it's every Korean person has gone through it. That's completely normal. For me, it's, it's more funny than anything else. Given the most successful Korean Canadians or Korean Americans are not even that, you know. But yeah, anyway. And at that age, I, I decided I want to become a professional soccer player. But it didn't happen. And it's okay because despite my father passing away and not being able to achieve my dreams, I still got to enjoy it with him. 
And so for me, the sport is not so much about pure entertainment. It's, uh, it's profoundly emotional and it's very rational. I gave you a rational explanation, but the feeling is irrational. You know, and, and to be honest, if you don't know what soccer is to people, that's what it is. Millions of people probably have a similar story that I have. And this is kind of what this podcast is about, not particularly about soccer, but giving the voice to a very nuanced things, giving voice to people who might not have a voice or may not have, maybe they don't even have a voice that might be interesting, but it's still a voice. And that's kind of what I want to do here. So, so this is my podcast. Uh, it's called the On Topic Podcast with Jason Kim, me, and uh, uh, I'm gonna divide it up. I think four different episodes. So today it's an introduction, you know what it's about, and the next episode uh, will be about the World Cup, and then one after that will be about clubs, particular clubs like club culture and all that stuff, and also last one, which is the most passionate one I feel, is beer leagues. For those who don't know, beer leagues is basically amateur level soccer. And at the end of the game, you just drink beer. So if you see a lot of unfit guys that are somehow fit, that's where the, that's that beer league. Or you might see people who are absolutely shit, that's also beer league. I, I'm, I feel strongly about beer leagues because that's how communities are made. And that's how you get to feel good about yourself when you're better than another person by a mile. I mean, I know it's petty, but oh, it's so, so good. So assuming you don't watch the game. Uh, a lot of you are familiar how it's played. It's 11 guys on the field, or girls, and it's a goalie, defenders, midfielders, and attackers, and then there's a coach on the side, and you got your bench players, you know, like any sport. If you watch any kind of sport, that's how it works. There's a lot of different competitions, and briefly, just to name the few, this week, a lot of those uh, big European competitions are coming back. In North America, MLS has returned for a one-off tournament, Champions League-style tournament in August. There are different competitions. Every country has their own, and it's pretty straightforward. There's 20 teams. Every game you win is three points. Uh, a draw is one point, and a loss is zero points. And the whole point of the game is in the, in the competition is to get as many points as possible. And yeah, and it's, it lasts almost like a, a school year. So it will begin in September, then end in uh, June or May. So it's always a school year, which I never understood because if, it always annoyed me when I went to high school because I could never watch a game because I'm in fucking school. And it's, anyway, it's, and I didn't even know, streaming wasn't really a thing until much later, but anyway. But yeah, but I think, in, but for this season in particular, I'll talk a lot about European soccer because that is the biggest market. That is the most fun. I mean, England, as you see, I'm wearing a Liverpool hat and the Premier League to me is the most entertaining. And the Spanish league is uh, another one that I watch a lot. I like to watch Real Madrid. They're, um, they're the superstar team, if uh, you know nothing about it. If you know nothing about Real Madrid or Spanish soccer, you should look into them in Barcelona. It's a really interesting history. Even from, objectively speaking, it's, it's only through this game where actual cultural norms and practices and beliefs manifest through, through the game. It's... It's like it's, it seems to be only through the sport. I don't know why. I really don't. When people say soccer is a religion, I get it. And I have a master's in religion. 
this is why I'm doing a podcast because I'm fucking nothing better to do. So, <laughs> and and it's weird, and it makes sense why people would say that. Like for example, Liverpool, the, my team that supported England, the biggest rivals is Manchester United, which is obviously you know a team from Manchester. And when you start looking into the rivalry, it becomes interesting, especially me, sort of as an outsider peering in. I always thought it was pretty interesting where it's Liverpool used to be this industrial hub where ships were built and the I guess the economy of England was quite reliant on Liverpool I think it was like the second largest city or something like that and and then they built a canal connecting to Manchester and that took a lot of jobs and industry away from Liverpool to Manchester I don't know why it just you know I guess that's how economics works and so a lot of a lot of Liverpool I think they're called Liverpudlians. Oh, such a, I don't know, I think that's what they're called. Or Scousers, people from Merseyside. They lost a lot of jobs. They lost a lot, of, a lot of things gone and went to Manchester. And somehow that frustration manifests through soccer because when's the next, when are you ever going to meet someone from Manchester at that time? And the only time you meet them was through these soccer games. And that's how they found out the frustration. And that's how this rivalry becomes amplified. And then back to the Real Madrid example, Real Madrid are, they got the, you know, the prefix Real, which means, or Real, which, which means royal in Spain, because the, kid, the, the club was endorsed by the king at some point. And so this club is kind of presented as prestigious, royalty, the Spanish monarchy and all that. But on the other side of the country, you have Barcelona, who are Catalan, they speak Catalan, very proud of their culture. And they're kind of the people's club. That's the impression I get. Real Madrid, they're both international franchises, and they have fans all around the world. You could find them, you could fucking throw a stone, you will hit a Real Madrid fan or Barcelona fan. And, and you see these, these divisions happening in the pitch because in Barcelona, they culturally and politically wanted to be independent. I mean, for all of us who are born from Quebec, we know what that's like. And... And there was an interesting quote by an English coach who went to Barcelona and he said, when you're the manager of Barcelona, you're not really a football coach, you're a general. And his team is like his army and the fans are the people you're fighting for. I, I paraphrase that for sure, but it tells you a lot. And what he meant by that is that in the context of playing Real Madrid called a Clasico, so if you're a neutral observer or doesn't watch soccer, you should. There's cool stories behind the teams. We get that in North American sport for sure. Like the Montreal Canadiens is, it presents itself as people's club. This is the French Canadian club. But it's interesting because Europe it seems to dig deeper and deeper and deeper. It's there's politics, history, religion, religious religious attentions, and even cultural things. Or it could even be just manufactured rivalries that just for the fun of it. But for the most part, it, it seems really deep. And I, looking from as an, out, as an outsider, that's what attracted me to the game in terms of watching. I've always played it. As a kid, I've always played it. I always enjoyed played it, playing it. But I didn't really watch when I was playing. I just played. I didn't, I didn't care. Because like I said, in, at home, we, don't, we didn't really watch it. And... But yeah, that's what attracted me. I'm like, oh, cool. There's all these kind of stories, like almost like comic book-like stories, and you know, there's all this beef, and yeah, that, that's that's what makes it fun. And I think 
there's a lot of there's a lot of content online where you could see people talk about what I'm saying, but they're living it, and I don't think they're self-aware of how intrinsically interesting and even weird this is for outsiders like me who want who is attracted to the game. Yeah, and it's it's cool. It's pretty cool. <laughs> but again, if you're someone who doesn't really watch soccer or doesn't uh, know much about soccer, uh, and you might be asking, why is it? the biggest game in the world. Why is it in every country you'll find a soccer field or someone playing soccer in the streets? And you have to blame colonization and the English. Um, they, they're, it's, it's kind of their fault in a good way or bad way. If you hate soccer, then, then yeah, it's their fucking fault. But it, it, English traders, whatever they went to the world, they would play the games wherever they went. And the locals would see it. And the locals would be like, cool shit, I want to play too. And boom, that's kind of how it worked. If not, it was uh, university students that went abroad, uh, specifically in England, like Oxford or whatever, and they saw how they they were introduced to the game at those English universities. Then when they, when they went back to their countries, they're like, "Hey, there's a really cool game that I could beat you all because I've had a full fucking year to play this game." And that's how it went to. I think that's how Barcelona got the game actually. So you can see I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a huge soccer nerd and I love it. There's a really good book called Angels with Dirty Faces. I forget the author's name, but he talks about Argentinian soccer and how, for some reason, Argentina should have been a superpower today. It should have surpassed Brazil today in terms of economics and politics. But yet it had a coup d'etat like two, three times and it never made sense. Even uh, political historians don't understand why. There seems to be no logical sense, according to this book I was reading. But their soccer team never stopped being good. And he said it's, it's very uncanny, like that shouldn't be a thing. And again, it's those weird little tensions, those nuances, I live for those gray areas where you see it and you're like, okay, that's kind of neat, it's kind of cool, that's, that's, it's uncanny, it's weird. There's another book called Soccer Economics, they sort of talk about that as well. Yeah, it's cool. And all this to say, it went throughout the world, but the main, main reason why it caught on throughout the world is that it's cheap, easy. You don't need anything. You, if you had if even paper, you could just ball up a paper and start playing. You know, it's, it's the most democratic sports out there, and it's kind of unfortunate that it seems to become gentrified. Yeah, it seems to be gentrified now, or it's process of gentrification, it seems. But, I mean, it's not necessarily bad. But it's also necessarily good at times. It depends where you stand. A lot of people stand on the old school thinking of it should be cheap. And yeah, it should be, should be affordable. It shouldn't be like fucking 200 bucks, you know, for like a shit game. Yeah, it translates easy to new cultures, like I said. But it, but it also, it creates, it creates communities. Wherever you go in the world, if you play soccer, it would be easy to integrate yourself into a new community. If I were to move, let's say, to Mexico City... I would feel comfortable to know I just joined a league and I could find my group of friends like that. There's something about the game, it's such a big icebreaker. Basketball does the same thing. Basketball, you could play anywhere in the world and you could get into those communities. And in soccer, it's each culture, uh, each soccer culture, no matter where in, the, in where in the world, has their own style of playing, like pickup games. And that's even their own like weird cultural no, abnormality? No, uniqueness. Like in Montreal, if you want to go play pick up soccer the rules are it's seven aside 
you know, or if there's too many people, they'll jam it to like eight or nine a side in like a really small pitch. It's it's the fucking worst. I, that's why I don't play pickup anymore. It's bullshit. <laughs> but some places are pretty good where they said they'll keep it seven or eight max. But it's ten minutes a game, and the first team to score two minutes within the ten minutes stays on the pitch. If you scored one and it stays, let's say one nil for the entire game, whoever scored that one stays on the pitch. If it stays tied. The team that's won the most has to take a break. In other parts, though, it's the other way around, where the team who's won the most stays on. You see, that's kind of cool. And I used to play in one where if you tied and you won the most games, you should go take a break. It was very democratic. And I mean, I, there's one there's one day we won ten games straight. So I was like, yeah, fuck, we need a break, you know, <laughs> and and wait thirty minutes for another game. But it's kind of cool because uh, I have friends from Europe who've come here and played pickup soccer in Montreal, and they said. It's not like this in Europe. It's kind of, I think one of them has said is there's a team rotation, but it's kind of like it's golden goal. First goal, then it's over. And they said most of the time in Europe they play five aside on the, like street soccer, like futsal. And I played a bit of futsal. And I played a few years of futsal, which is a lot of fun. It's a different game, uh, very technical, heavier ball, smaller space. But if it's a lighter ball, it's just pretty hard as well. But it's good. And if you're someone who wants to get into soccer, I suggest not doing the pickup soccer right away. Don't do it by yourself. If you have friends who play soccer, go with them to the pickup games. If you go by yourself, it's gonna be abusive. Don't do that. Um, like even myself, I'm experienced. I think I'm I'm pretty good. I would say, but I would hesitate to go by myself. Maybe that says more about my confidence and more of yeah, more my self confidence. But it gets so stupidly toxic and yeah like especially yeah i used to get like racially abused all the time when i used to go but not even just by myself with friends people would talk shit to me like in french or in Eng well in english it would never happen but always in french and it was always african guys who would always say some shit to me but i realized that yeah it was some racist things to say but it was i let them get to my head you know, and I was like, oh, shit, and I lost the mental battle. And I feel like in soccer, the mental battle is really half the battle. Like, you know, endurance, determination, and just uh, think to yourself that you could beat the other guy, you could dominate him. And so, yeah, that's, that's some of the cool things about, about the game. It's like those nuances that, that you find. And, I mean, you could probably find that in baseball. You know, for example, the New York Yankees versus the Boston Red Sox, and there's that undertone of sort of the city, the city, the city beefs, kind of like Manchester and and uh, Liverpool, and New York being the bigger city got all the jobs and all that, and Boston, you know, is Boston's kind of stayed white trash, I think, for a while. I went there a few years ago. It's a beautiful city. It's kind of cool. The Boston, you know, Boston accent's another thing. It's it's just like in the movies. It's it's incredible. But yeah, but that's I. For me as a Liverpool fan, one of the things that attracted me to the club was, yeah, they were playing good in 2012 when I think Luis Suarez came. That's when I really started watching because he like gave Korea a hard time in the 2010 World Cup. And I think it was like 2012. And <clears throat> that's when I, yeah, that's when I started watching. And it was, it was pretty cool to watch. They were doing well. Um, I mean, it was, you know, it was fun. They weren't nearly as good as Manchester or Chelsea or Arsenal, but you know it was still fun to watch. But what attracted me the most was the club culture, what they're about, you know, with the with the cop end and all that stuff, and that song that they sing the song at the beginning of every game, "You'll Never Walk Alone," and that is an inc 
incredibly powerful song when sung by like forty five thousand drunk like Englishmen, you know. But it's 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 cool, and I thought that was neat. I thought Liverpool was this only club that had this kind of culture. But I realized that throughout the world they have these cultures. One really cool one is in Morocco, this uh, club called Widad Casablanca. Their chants are like amazing, and what the fans do, choreograph the choreography and all that. It's uh, it's really impressive. But Liverpool is. It's far more socialist. It is a socialist city, and when there's no ultras, ultras are like the hard, super hardcore fans. And you know, if you go to an impact game, there's two ultra sections. There's like three ultra sections, but they're all pretty peaceful, and they're they're a bunch of hipsters. They're a bunch of vegans, so whatever. And <laughs> oh man, they're not gonna accept my membership for sure. But fuck it. But Liverpool doesn't have that. <clears throat> when one guy sings, everyone just starts singing, and it's. And I went to a Premier League West Ham game, and that was really the case. One guy starts singing, the entire stadium just ends up singing, and it's really, it's really fun to watch. And for Liverpool, they have you know all these chants, but they also have this really strong cult of heroes, I guess you can call it. You know, Steven Gerrard, Jamie Carragher, Kenny Daglish, you know, Ian Rush, some other guy. <laughs> but you know, like they have, it's it's such a strong cult, and I find it really fascinating. And a lot of these guys, especially with Jamie Carragher and Steven Gerrard, they're from the city, and they're almost worshipped as gods. And and it, you know, in Montreal, we do the same thing with our hockey players. But it, it's kind of fascinating to see. Maybe that's just how my brain works. I like to view things objectively, and I think that's far more fun to see to experience it subjectively. No, that's that's a lie. But I do enjoy. Uh, watching things objectively because it's kind of like it's weird you almost see life as a simulation not to say there's a fucking matrix but I'm just saying like it's kind of how I see it and you know it's fun and another reason for me to love well my love for Liverpool is I think it reminded me of a time when soccer was it, it's reflected more my a time of my life where it was fun it was innocent I mean I was young I was like a teenager and that's what made Liverpool kind of attractive to me. Same with Real Madrid. Well, Real Madrid was more like glitz and glamour of, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, Kaká, Raul, Casillas, Sergio Ramos, Xabi Alonso, now Luka Modric, uh, Tony Cruz, and Marcelo. And, you know, these, you know, and anyone can be a Real Madrid fan because of that. Or you go to Barcelona and there's Messi and that's enough. And, but what Liverpool was, it really was the, some of the best time of my life. Honestly, but yeah. But that being said, I mean, it's that's another fun aspect about soccer is you get to choose a team not just how good they are, but what they're about. You know, what they're about as a club, what they're about as a community, what they're about as a city. And it's it's really neat to see that. I mean, Everton on the other side, the other Liverpool team uh, in the city of Liverpool, I think that they have the same values really, but they're just you know cross town rivals. Again, and that's also fun to watch. So if, you, if you're someone who knows soccer, knows it very well, you're probably, you know all this shit. Of course you do. But even if you know soccer, I encourage you to see those subtleties, some of those gray areas, those, you know, those emotional aspects of, of the game, even the religious aspects of the game. You know, for when someone says soccer is my religion, yeah, I get it. I totally get it. It's giving you everything emotionally. But if that's the only thing you have emotionally, that's concerning. But you know, it's, um, but it's it's fun, and sometimes I think a lot of people don't like where the game is going. Things are getting slightly more expensive, and it's becoming almost like a novelty experience for some. I mean, 
it's becoming really glitz and glamorous. And some people find that disturbing. Others don't know any better. And like this new generation don't know what it was like in the past. But same with us. We don't know what it was like in the 80s or 70s. But some people seem concerned because it's like, is the money getting out of hand? Is the corruption getting out of hand? You know, and it's, and those are interesting things to talk about. And to be honest, uh, we need to be more, as fans, we should say something about the corruption because it's, you know, it's fucked up. Like, that's not why we're watching sports. We don't watch sports to know who's going to win. We watch sports because of the improbability of the best team losing. And it's always interesting because it's, it's hard to predict sometimes they'll win. I mean, obviously, it's easy to predict. I mean, today, Real Madrid played Valencia behind closed doors. Uh, for those watching in the future, I hope we still got this going in the future. But it's... <laughs> but, it's, you know, it's pandemic, we're locked down, everything is played behind closed doors. But for some fucking reason, the TV people think it would be good to superimpose fake fans on the seats with, like, uh, with fake noise put in the stadium as if the fans are there. It's, don't do that. We're not stupid. We know, we know it's empty. I'd rather listen to the players, what they're saying on the pitch. And it's probably because they're cussing half the time, and that's why they wanted those fans, so they won't hear anything. But I, that's what I want to hear as a player. I want to hear that, but... But yeah, back to, back to improbability. Real Madrid just beat Valencia today. Valencia's a good team. Real Madrid beat them 3-0. And, but there are games where I remember Real Madrid will lose. They're a you know, fantastic team. They have some of the best players in the world. And I remember a game where they lost to Ibar, I think. Ibar is like this small, tiny team in the mountains, the Basque country in the mountains. And the, the stadium can only fill like 5,000, I think. And Real Madrid, Santiago Bernabeu could fill 80 to 90,000 people. I've been there. It's intimidating. It's really intimidating. Also knowing that the fans of Real Madrid are, the nice word would be they have high demands and high expectations. Uh, some of them will call them spoiled, but high expectations, I mean, yeah, they're both spoiled and they have high expectations. I mean, they booed Cristiano Ronaldo. Who the fuck boos Cristiano Ronaldo? Who the fuck boos Iker Casillas? Real Madrid fans, because they expect better. That's the club they are. They're the fans are the Michael Jordan of fans. I think that's the best way of explaining it. It's unrealistic. It's almost unfair. It's pretty much bullying. But if you play for Real Madrid, you have the greatest ego on the planet. That's another fun thing about the game. The psychological aspect is insane, too. To think that you went from playing in front of a few hundred people to playing in front of 10, 20,000 people like that. You know, it's, it's impressive that you can even, you know, survive that. I mean, maybe it says a lot about my ego and my self-confidence, but that's, I don't think people ever consider that. The depression is, seems tremendous. You know, there's a crazy story where Colombia was knocked out of World Cup because one of the Colombian players, he scored an own goal, and a few weeks later, he was shot dead outside of a bar because he knocked out Colombia. To know that there are fans who really want to kill you for fucking up, that is Absurd. I mean, I saw a video on Instagram. It was the most disturbing thing I saw. Whereas Jesse Lingard, <laughs> for the soccer nerds, you know, he's become a meme. He's a great player with no assists and no goals. That's kind of what the meme is. And I saw this disturbing video where these his own fans were calling him the N-word and telling him to die, that he should be lynched. And should, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, it's, you know, where's the boundaries? But it's to think that that's your life. And you're on social media and people are DMing you all the time, that kind of shit, you know, it's, it's, and you can't really just live your life. Some people say, oh, but you're rich, whatever, you can hide from everyone, but I, I'd rather lose that money and have my freedom. Like, it's, it's kind of, it's 
kind of crazy. You know, as Dennis Rodman said in the, the, the Last Dance, which I thought was the best quote was, I play this shit for free. I mean, that's kind of what happened to this game. We play for free, play for fun, and it became this big theater. And, and you know, voila, we're here now. And we have a lot of fans that rely too much on the game. And to go to that extent, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. I would have hated to be David Beckham in his prime. Oh, God, it's, it's crazy. There's a dark side to it. And a lot of people do get hurt. Fans fight each other. And I wish it wasn't the case. I mean... When Toronto comes playing Montreal here, shit's gonna happen. When Montreal plays in Toronto, shit always happens, you know. And it's uh, among the fans. You know, it's, for some people that's fun, but it's that you know, it's you know, it is what it is. It's part of the game. But it's I wish that I wish that wasn't a thing. That shouldn't be a thing. But yeah, like I said, for those who know the game, watch the game. What I'll be doing is presenting your voice, hopefully. If you're not from, the majority of us are not from England. Let's say, for example, I'm not from Liverpool. There's no reason for me to be a Liverpool fan. But why am I a Liverpool fan? Well, I just told you. But maybe you have a similar story. Maybe these clubs are ultimately tied to your, your relationship with your parents, your, with your friends or family. Or, or maybe you're just a guy who was like, that was the best team and that's why I joined them. That's why I like them. That's a better, that's honestly a fine answer. That's, you know, that's good. But, oh, and also for international fans who, let's say, are not from England or not from, like, North London, if you're an Arsenal fan or Tottenham fan, you know, it's, we're all bandwagons at kind of the end of the day, and that's okay. And also, I don't think people understand what bandwagon means anymore. Bandwagon means that you just jump from the best team to the next best team to the next best team. Okay, like, I, I always get into these stupid debates. It's not, anyway. <laughs> yeah. So that being said... I hope to present your voice and like my voice and for us the game is fun it, at the end of the day it's just sports it's fun it's it's entertaining but we also take on these weird cultural values of the club we adopt because we're really adopting them into our lives it's a, you see how religious it gets and it's you know it's weird like i know nothing of liverpool i had a whole trip planned to go this this march but you know a virus said otherwise and i had to cancel everything and I wasn't entirely bummed out because I knew Anfield will always be there, so I'll get to it eventually. So. Okay. But yeah, that being said, uh, all the, you know, it's cool to see that these cultures, uh, these clubs have their own cultures and subcultures and whatnot. Another cool club is St. Pauli in Germany, where they're a very left-leaning, very gay-friendly kind of club and very liberal. They're a really cool club. They're, everything they stand for is really cool, and they're very peaceful they're like they're kind of they're pretty much the 90s punks of today no i mean they still are and it's it's cool to see it's a cool club that's somewhere where i strongly suggest everyone to maybe if you go to germany go definitely go check out one of their games or you can watch wonder or even watch the games on tv but again if you're new to soccer know nothing about it or just kind of you know interested you're at the right place because i'm gonna assume that a lot of you don't know and what I want to do is really tell you the stories of those who are not from those areas, who are from, you know, let's say in Canada, as Canadians, we're always outsiders watching these uh, big games, if it's not MLS. You know, Canada's never in the World Cup. So for most Canadian fans, we're always watching the European leagues, the South American leagues, or whatever. If you're an MLS fan, like me, I like watching MLS. It's fun. Montreal's doing well. We got Thierry Henry as our coach, so it's, it's excellent. Boan Gurkic is on the team, ex-Barcelona player. So yeah, it's fun. And... 
again, to those who do watch the game a lot, like I said, I'm trying to present your voice. And this is what this podcast is really about, is some of the nuances or things we take for granted, we don't really pay attention to it. And do you ever pay attention to a tree outside? But like really stare at it. Maybe that says a lot about me smoking weed and spending a lot of time outdoors, but it's, it's, you start becoming grateful in a weird way and you start appreciating the smaller things. And I'm telling you, when you start appreciating the smaller things in life, it accumulates and it enriches your life. And that's kind of what I want to do here is we'll be talking about things that seem mundane or, or, uh, or topic, really topics that I'm interested in. I mean, in the future, I wish to talk about tattoos and have tattoo artists come to this podcast. Um, a lot of you find that interesting. Some of you still find it taboo. And, it's, and why is that? That's something we could talk about. And this is what I want to do here is talk about it because we don't talk about things anymore. We don't really talk about things of real significance anymore. We're just too scared to talk about religion and politics. But when really we should, well, recently, you know, with the death of George Floyd, people are we're talking about uh, racism and racial relations again, but it's, it seems like we don't really, we know how to talk about it, but it's, it's too hot. And how can we still talk about things that are still hot and not kill each other, you know? And it's, uh, I think it's time for that. And I, that's kind of what I maybe want to do here. Well, no, that's what I will do here. Please cut that out. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so this season it's soccer and I'll, I will have people on, and we will talk about, we'll talk a lot about the games or reminisce on it, and we'll even maybe even talk about like specific technical things, but to those who don't watch soccer, view this as almost like an anthropologist, like how do people talk about things? It's like, oh, so this is how soccer people talk. Interesting. Because I think it might be, no, it's probably the same as any other sport, but, but yeah, so this season's soccer, and then next season it's another topic, and and we all have a memory and a story related to that. And it might seem mundane, but when you start appreciating living in the moment, you start realizing these memories are, you know, there's, there's always meaning behind memories and there's a reason why you remember those things. And to me, when I you know, just started out in this episode, I got emotional talking about my dad because soccer and my dad are almost one and the same in a lot of ways. And for others, it's just, you know, you just love the game. It's fun. Nothing more, uh, nothing more profound, nothing more deep. And that's fine. I mean, everyone's different. Every season is different. And every season is a different topic, rather. And everyone is, everyone's got a story, and that's, stories are fun. Funny or sad or angry or whatever. I mean, it's still something worth sharing. And I, I think we don't share enough today. Uh, maybe we overshare. Who knows? I mean, <laughs> personally, I don't think I share enough. But there's people who definitely overshare. Like, you know, don't send your dick pics willy-nilly. What the fuck is wrong with you? And <laughs> I can't believe even that's a thing. And and fun fact, I think the first graffitis were in Rome. And almost all the graffitis were about sex and, like, dicks and shit. We're fascinated by penises. And I... And... <laughs> I don't want to say I love that, but it's weird. It's a, it's a, I don't know why that's a thing. But yeah, so this season's soccer. And uh, next week, or next episode, rather. Uh, next episode, 
I'm going to talk about the World Cup. I think that's the one thing that is the most attractive for everyone. And and it's as an outsider, that's the most fun. To see Croatia make it that far is probably is probably the biggest mistake in my life for not betting on them because I knew they were going to make it to the final and I just didn't listen to myself and I felt like I couldn't make good money. But, but I, I, I also don't really bet, so I don't even know why I made that comment. Just the idea of making money excites me, but I don't want to... I don't want to bet, <laughs> but, but yeah. So, from Montreal, thank you for listening.